Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hello there, friends of the dental business community. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke, founder and CEO of Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis and Negotiation. I'm also the sponsor of the show. Um, so I think that the uh, views do reflect my own. Uh, so, but there's no other agenda outside of your education and um, hopefully some modicum of entertainment. Um, one of the reasons why I created the show or launched the show is because when I came from corporate America into this uh, dental niche, um, I had there's some different things that happen and um, that were new to me. And also that um, I, I have questions from clients about what to do about certain things. I had no idea. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is one of the challenges that are facing the dental uh, community and the provider community as a whole, maybe even the country, but really we'll talk about dentists specifically. Um, and so I'm not real shy. So I go find some folks that intrigue me or that I respect, and then I have conversations with them. And that's what we're going to do today, dear listeners, is I would like to introduce um, Kevin Simpson and what Kevin does, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about it, but one of the challenges that is facing the provider community and really this country right now is a labor shortage. And there's uh, sometimes the second biggest complaint that I get when folks call me is they can't find good associates, they can't find good um, specialists, they can't find good hygienists, etc. And so I have not, I don't really know anything about that business or that side of the business. And so Kevin Simpson from Dallas, Texas, um, started schooling me a little bit about it. And I said, you know what, why don't you wait up, Kevin? And um, we'll school everybody at the same time. So it is my dear pleasure to welcome Kevin Simpson to the show. How are you, Kevin? I'm good, Patrick. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate you bringing me on. My pleasure. Um, So you are with Arthur Marshall, but so where's Arthur? <laughs> so, you know, we get that question quite a bit. I am with Arthur Marshall. Uh, Arthur Marshall is, uh, it was the middle name. Arthur was the middle name of one of our founders' fathers, and Marshall was the middle name of another of our founders' fathers. And that's where the name Arthur Marshall came from, really. Uh, when they started the firm in 2002, they were really just looking for a name that had a very prestigious, uh, almost um, law firm type feel to it. And that's mm-hmm. how they came to Arthur Marshall. Gotcha. They didn't consider John Ray, huh? No, John Ray wasn't on there. Paul gotcha. Bunyan wasn't either. Gotcha. <laughs> um, as for our listeners, if this is your first time on the show, on John Ray is our producer. He is on the um, mixing boards. He is the uh, Dr. Dre to my Snoop Dogg. So um, back to the VIP of the show, which would be Kevin and Arthur Marshall. So middle names make it sound classy like a law firm. I wish I would have had that uh, idea. Wait, I don't know, my, you know what? My, coincidentally, my middle name is John. Oh, believe it or not. Yeah. I told my wife as Jerome. She believed that for 10 years. True story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
at any rate, so at Arthur Marshall, so what, how did you end up? You have two founders. I assume that your middle name is not Arthur nor Marshall. Would that be an accurate assumption? Uh, that is accurate. My middle name is Wayne, if anybody really wants to know. Well, I did want to know. I was definitely going to ask. Could be Bruce Wayne. Right. Or it could be John Wayne, if it was you and me. That would be, that's pretty prestigious. That's pretty awesome. I have to say. For sure. Still well in California, at least. Yeah. Um, So, but we didn't hook up. Um, So it's Arthur Marshall. It is. So you're the COO. And so what, what does that entail at Arthur Marshall? Well, I'm the chief operations officer here. And, and, you know, I think what you're really getting at is how did I, how did I end up here? What's my, my background and, and, uh, that know, is I, yes. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to take over as the host. No, you're, <laughs> this is your show, brother. <laughs> so no, I you know I, I came over from Arthur Marshall about six years ago. Um, I started in the physician recruit physician recruitment industry uh, back in 2009, 2010, uh, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, working for one of the lar- the nation's largest physician recruitment firms. Um, and so I was trained up in that side of the business. Um, and quite frankly, that's where Arthur Marshall started in 2002. Um, that was their primary focus uh, when they initially set out. They, they, they wanted, they recruited into critical access hospitals uh, in small communities across America on a retained uh, basis. Um, so fast forward to uh, to now, um, you know, when I joined in 2016, um, I had already left. Uh, I had left uh, the firm that I was at. I was recruiter of the year at that firm two years in a row. So my background was in was in the actual recruiting uh, of physicians to small communities. Um, I left there to join Arthur Marshall. I was recruited over, uh, and uh, you know, over the course of my career here over the six years. Um, we have transitioned from being a physician recruitment firm to really being a fully dental recruitment firm. Um, and, and some of that was was my brainchild. Some of that was the brainchild of uh, Justin Pointer, who you've also met. who's my vice president of strategic partnerships. We worked really closely together to kind of build the brand in that direction. And so uh, last year I was actually promoted to COO. I've held several titles here at Arthur Marshall. I've been uh, our vice president of recruiting. I've been our vice president of sales. So going out and selling the contracts. Um, and now, once again, I am the COO and and really second in command here uh, at Arthur Marshall. Gotcha. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Just shout out to Justin, too, um, who is also a really good guy. Um, met both of you at a Fortune 50 event. So shout out to Fortune and Bernie and Mark Murphy and Fred and uh, Bill Barrett and Jennifer and everyone else on the team. Um, so, you know, we're sitting next to each other and, you know, we're kind of rapping uh, about, you know, what everybody does. Right. And so what do you feel is the largest challenge as far as disciplines go? Is there any difference between, say an oral surgeon and an endodontist, or is it more like geographically like what, what's the degree of challenge when it comes to what you're looking for, what the clients are looking for? You know, is it like, well, geez, I live in, you know, is Alaska tougher than Texas, you know, and then is it by discipline? Uh, Discipline is what I call the type of doctor. 
Yeah, great questions. You know, interestingly enough, the dental market is the dental market is a lot different than the uh, the physician market, right? Healthcare hospitals, um, and you know, in, in the hospital market, it, it wasn't so much specialty based; it was location based. It was you know the smaller town versus the larger community. What we actually find uh, in the dental space is most of the practices that we work with are in what we would consider. Now, our clients don't always consider it that, but we would consider it larger communities as compared to what we were used to um, in the the physician the physician game a lot of what you would recruit to was you know towns of 2,000 people critical access hospital with you know one stoplight in the town one of my largest clients was actually uh, Stanton County Hospital in Johnson City Kansas uh, shout out to Johnson City Kansas everybody knows where it is it's western Kansas it's Literally, the closest community is an hour and 30 minutes away, and that's Garden City, Kansas, uh, which is a community of about 20,000 people. The next closest town is Wichita, which is five hours away, right? So we did a lot of recruitment into areas like that. In the dental world, you don't really have a lot of dental practices that are in that small of communities, though there are a few. Um, what we generally find is it's less about location um, and more about the discipline. Um, oral maxillofacial surgeon is probably our most requested specialty right now. It's also probably the most difficult. Uh, number two uh, is hygienist. Hygienist is our second most requested specialty, and it is the second most difficult search that's out there. Uh, and then you could kind of take the list down from there, you know, associate uh, dentist, periodontist. Orthodontists have actually been, uh, uh, we've had a lot of success with orthodontists here lately, but most difficult would be oral maxillofacial surgeon. Number two would be hygienist. Close second. Interesting. That's interesting. So we have, we knew, I get the complaint a lot and we work with uh, oral surgeons a lot. So we shout out to Amos and uh, everybody in Chicago and across the country um, that are members of the American Association of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgeons. Um, and there's, I guess, several reasons for that. Probably inventory, I suppose. There's just not as many oral surgeons. Would that be accurate? Yeah, there, I mean, there's certainly a shortage. There's there's a shortage across the the, the spectrum, right? And and I can we can talk on on why that is across the entire dentistry space. I've got some I've got some really interesting theories there that I think really add up. But um, yeah, I think OMS is difficult for There's just not enough. Um, you know, the bigger challenge is they're very, very high paying specialties. Um, and more often than not, the clients that are hiring us are wanting to, to bring somebody in as an associate, right? So they're wanting to grow their practice via, uh, via bringing in an associate who they're clearly not going to pay as much as they're going to pay themselves. Um, and so for, for, an o, for an OMS where um, there, is, there are wide pay disparities across the U.S., um, and you're trying to recruit that guy from one place to the next, you know, they go, man, I've got 14 job offers I, on the, all the time. I'll talk to them. And they're like, yeah, I've got 14 job offers. Well, how do you stand out? You know, and it's in the, you know, the easy answer is to say, well, you know, this job's going to pay the most. So I'm going to take that job. But that's, that can't always be the answer. Can't always be the solve. It can't always pay more than the next guy. Um, so you got to be creative in that sense. But uh, yeah, shortage is part of it. But the other piece is just that, there are there are such a there's such a massive pay difference. And here's the thing: when you start talking about a guy who's going to make seven hundred thousand to a million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. A fifty thousand dollar pay difference doesn't move the needle. Mm-mm. I mean, you think about it. Like, hey, this job's offering seven hundred thousand. 
this job's offering 750,000. Well, you know, to the average guy, the average American here, like, whoa, that's 50 grand more. But it's not, it, it doesn't move the needle for an OMS, right? If you're going to buy somebody, right, you've got to go really above and beyond. You know, you got to start getting to 100, $150,000 before it's going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so then it's going to come down to culture partnership track, you know. Partnership track, very important. Yeah. I would think so. And the competition's a bit more fierce um, because there's a lot more um, larger corporate organizations um, in all spaces, really in all segments, uh, certainly in OMS, um, which has happened over the course of the past several years. You know, I would imagine because I see, I see recruiters at every, you know, you know, every dental event I go to too. And I would imagine like that, you know, at the Hinman that they're going after hygienists too. I mean, I don't really ask. So, um, but that could be a different story. I, it has to be. So where did all the hygienists go? <laughs> they left practice. Uh, they got fed up. They got tired of it. You know, they decided that, uh, you know, it's so funny. It, think of it like this. One of right now, I'm I'm my company's the growth model, right? We are growing like crazy, and I'm having to recruit folks all the time. And um, so one of our niches and one of the way one of the folks that do really well for us are former hygienists. It, it's crazy, right? Because I'm looking for hygienists. Like, you know, and, and part of our conversation is, hey, you sure you don't want to, you know, be a hygienist? No, I'd like to be a recruiter instead, which which actually works for us because it gives our it gives us some insight. There's some experience there. If your background um, was already in dentistry, right? Some of the 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 things about how to recruit and how to go about selling a practice, you know, that's something that we can teach you. Um, what you what what I can't teach you is 20 years of experience as a hygienist, right? You mm -hmm. know it better than anybody. And, sure. and so, yeah, you, you talk about hygienists. There, it's a demanding job. You know, it's a physical. There's it's physical labor, really, is what it is. Um, in a lot of ways. And so, you know, when COVID, when COVID struck and everything shut down, suddenly these hygienists, which were already, you know, we were already short hygienists as is, you know, when all, when everything shuts down and they were left out in the cold because they can't hang their own shingle, they weren't the business owner, right? They were employed by some practice. Well, when they were left out in the cold, they had to go and find a new job. They had to find a new niche. And so they left the industry and they left it in droves. And those that came back had to be enticed to come back. Um, and, and this is where realistic, realistically, when you talk about hygienists, you, you do have to overpay. You have to treat them. You know, I've heard I've heard dentists refer to them as um, the princesses, you know, the princesses of the practice. Right. And, you know, I think that that I think some folks use that as a um, uh, they, they spoke of that in kind of a negative light. Um, but they weren't wrong, right? These they they now understand their value. They know what they're worth. They know that they don't have to work in one practice. Um, a lot of them that came back in said, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to take staffing gigs. I'm just going to work a couple of days a week here, a couple of days a week there." And they did that because they realized, just like just like nursing in the healthcare field, that if they go do travel hygiene as opposed to permanent hygiene. They can make more money, set their own schedule, and dictate their life on their terms. That's the challenge that people run into right now when they come to us and they say, we need a permanent hygienist. It's hard mm. to compete. How do you compete against the the how do you get somebody to say, yeah, I'm I'm gonna work with you full time if you're paying less than what they're gonna get in the travel market? Your schedule is is isn't as good, 
right? I mean, there's there's just a lot of factors there that play into it. And ultimately, for the hygiene, the hygiene market, it's a shortage. Uh, but more importantly, it's you know it's the internet age, right? Everybody knows what they're worth now. You can't hide behind the numbers. Hmm. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So I've heard, um, you know, how important a hygienist is and, you know, I just I kind of draw my own experience. Like, you know, we moved a town away. My wife still goes to Roswell, Georgia, because she likes the hygienist. Uh, she may not be able to tell you the, the dentist's name. You know, I can't I work in the business, um, but she won't leave that practice because that hygienist and their fee for service only too. Not that we have dental insurance. Not that there's anything wrong with dental insurance. All my friends in the industry who listens to it, but for a small business owner, doesn't make sense. Um, just use your HSA or FSA. Hint, hint. Uncle Sam, triple tax uh, advantaged. At any rate, um, so what advice would you give to dental practices or clinics, as they like to call them up there in Minnesota? Um, shout out to Jacuzzi Roy. Um, if they're, they're they're looking for something, they're like, all right, what do they need to make themselves attractive to top tier talent? Well, the first thing I tell somebody who is who is looking, and, and I mean seriously looking for an associate, an office manager, a you know assistant, right? Any of those type of things, anything to do with the dental office. The first thing that I, piece of advice I can recommend to you is to call me. that is a that is a selfish plug but no seriously i say that because it's just like anything else um you know i i would never tell a dentist uh, or a provider how to pull teeth right that's not my expertise my expertise is recruitment that's what we do we do that day in and day out we eat sleep and breathe dental recruitment right um so you know we're the experts i feel very confident that if we if there's a candidate for your job we can find that candidate for you and we can do it uh in a time effective manner now let's say that you said hey i i well, i'm not ready to take that step yet, that, that next step um here's what i would tell you the first thing you should always do and we tell all of our clients before they hire us is reach out to your local network make sure that you 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 work with your local network the very best people that you can have in your practice um are people that already know you people that know your employees currently right that's that's where you're going to find the folks that are probably going to be the very best fit for but you know the real question you're asking is is how do you stand out here's my best advice number one make sure your market competitive right at the very end of the day everybody is so fearful uh, of of sharing sharing salary ranges and pay ranges and things of that nature although a lot of municipalities like new york for example uh require it you have to you can't post a job without a pay range. You have to put it out there. Now, we can argue the politics of that all day long. That's not what's relevant here. Um, what's relevant is you want to make sure that you are competitive with the market so you can at least get the bite. But that's where that's where the process really starts, right? You got to get the person. You got to get them in the door to you. Once you get them in the door, you've got to roll out the red carpet. Patrick, I'll, I'll give you an example. I used to work with a client in Longview, Texas. Dear client of mine, one of my best clients I've ever had, Longview, Texas, for those who aren't familiar, is a community of about 50,000 people. The Metropolitan MSA is probably about 100,000. So not a large community by any sense of the imagination. There was a gal there that was my direct point of contact. Her name was Debbie Tips. Okay, Debbie Tips was a Southern gal, older. Uh, I think I want to say she was probably in her uh, early 60s. Sweetest woman I ever met. First day I met her when I went up to, to meet she had a uh, she had had homemade cookies there waiting, right? So we sat down and I got to know her. Like she, her, this girl. Oh, I loved her. Debbie's awesome. 
Shout out to Debbie Tips. I hope you're listening somewhere, some somehow. Um, and and so I got to know Debbie, and they had several needs. And what we did is we came up with a, a comprehensive plan. So every time, now this was a hospital, this wasn't a, a dental office, but what we did, the concepts still remain the same. What we did is every time we set an interview, so I, I called, I screened this person, I got an interview set up, I got them, I got them going. Whenever they came out on site, as soon as they got there, Debbie Tips was the first person to greet. And, you know, it was the sweetest thing. How you doing, Dr. So-and-so? She had the Southern accent about her, right? Very sweet, mm-hmm. very welcoming. You know, it felt like home. She always, she always baked them cookies every single time. That's key. Every single time. Yeah, that's key, right? She always baked them cookies every single time. And they spent about $100 doing this, but they, they always had the, you know, like the white lab coat, the doctor's coat. They mm-hmm. always had one made up with the, with the company logo on it already and their name on the other side. And they gave that to them as soon as they got there. Well, why is that important? There's a psychology to that. I've put your name on it. I've attached you to this place. And I've given you this thing without you ever giving anything back to me. So that, that was one of the first things that they did. During the course of the interview, they always made sure that the spouse was involved on some level. Not just, you know, yes, I may be interviewing the husband or the wife, right? But the spouse is involved in this interview, especially if they're going to be relocating. And it makes a massive impact when your practice goes out and they schedule things for the spouse to do. They schedule tours at the school. They schedule events for them to see. They learn what their kids are into and make sure that the spouse gets to go and see those things or what's important to the spouse, right? And and this goes both ways. I've had I've had husbands come in that weren't the provider and they were bass fishing. And so they made sure that they were able to schedule them with somebody that knew about bass fishing in the community and knew where all the local holes were, right? It was that extra little touch. Can you find me one of those wives so I can go fishing? (laughs) I'll work on it for you. (laughs) I'm just playing. I love my wife, Stephanie. (laughs) So as we got through the the interview process at the very end, and this was really cool, towards the very end of the process, every single time, before the, the candidate and the spouse left, the last thing on the itinerary was a massage that the, the, the facility scheduled. They scheduled a massage and pedicure for the husband and the wife at one of the local facilities in town. Now, this people hear that and they're like, wait, what? I thought this was an interview. It is. But they scheduled this. Massage. It cost them $150. Right? That's, that's the number that we're talking about. But when candidates left that facility, they had an experience. They had an emotional connection to that facility that they're not going to have anywhere else in the world. So I tell you all that story to say, be unique, be different. People don't remember all the little things. They remember how you made them feel, right? And so when they left there, they go, I felt awesome. I felt like I was at home. I had a cardiothoracic surgeon, okay? He comes into this facility. He leaves, he interviews, he leaves. He calls me on the way back. He's driving down to... uh back down to Houston. Okay. And I, I said, Hey doc, what'd you think? How was it? And this guy had 15 offers. He could have went anywhere in the country. He was from one of the very, very best programs uh, in the country. Right. So he had his pick of where he wanted to go. He chose Longview, Texas. Exactly what he told me. He said, I've been on 15 interviews. I've seen multiple communities that were bigger. I've had offers that were larger, but no place in no place that I feel like at home, like I did in Longview, I'm taking the job. I'm taking the job. 
That says and, a lot. And that's that's the difference. You've got to make an emotional connection. Your interviews should be 20% professional, 80% personal. Get to know the person. If you really want them, and, and remember this, the market is it, it's like it's kind of like the real estate, right? You know, is it a buyer's market or it's a, or is it a seller's market? Right. And and right now, you know, in hiring, it's, it's a buyer's market. Right. You're selling your practice to somebody. That's the reality. So you're it's incumbent upon you as the practice owner and the practice to sell your practice to that person, to make them want to come work for you. Yeah, I want I want to move to Longview, actually. Um, that's that's how you do it. How important is culture? Like I'm a big believer in kind of culture. I've been in large companies. I've been in medium sized companies. Uh, I own my own company. And you know, the interaction, I think that speaking as a business owner, number one, I want people to know, right, that, that I care, right? I care about them as a person. I care about their professional development. I want them to learn. I want them to grow a certain type of person, right? Um, it's part of our culture, right? And so I think that that gets thrown around in some corporate buzzwords quite a bit. Um, but I'm a big believer in it and, you know, personally invest in it, if that makes sense. Like I stake my time and I understand like, you know, what's, I do my best you know, to make sure what is making everybody tick and what motivates them. Cause it's not always money. You know, somebody I heard, you know, recently, if they come for money, they'll, they'll leave for money. And so there's going to be some other things that are going to attract them. It could be the work schedule, um, but it could be just the overall fit and mesh with the team. You know, it could be the purpose. I think that, and so here's my question. You know, I feel like we have a fairly defined purpose here, as do y'all, right? You're like, you're trying to find the right fit. This is your purpose. You're, that's all you do is recruiting, right? We only do one thing too, right? Just right analysis, strategic guidance. Um, that's it. And so our purpose is clear. How, and I guess for a dental practice, the purpose would be clear, but I mean, how much of a passion and belief, how much does that come into play? And so I don't know if that's a good question, but the, no, are you picking up what I'm putting down? I absolutely. I, and I love the question. Number one, uh, I got told a long time ago from a very, very valued mentor, mentor of mine uh, that you, you, you know, the you're an American, right? In, in America, we have opportunity um, and, there are options out there. You can make money doing anything in America. You really can't. We are blessed. We are truly, truly blessed. Amen. We live. Couldn't, couldn't uh, agree with you more. Should be no complaining. None, none. And, and there, there's opportunity everywhere. And so what my mentor told me was, Kevin, you can make money doing anything you want, right? Truthfully, make sure that whatever it is you're very passionate about, right? So yeah, passion, culture, all these things all play together. Um, by the way, I, I think it makes, I'm glad you brought that up because it is so vitally important. It's something that we preach. I, and, and as you know, it's pretty much the foundation of what fortune management coaches as well, right? Dear friends, oh, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I find this to be really interesting because the numbers actually, actually flesh it out. So in the recruitment industry, it's it's not a perfect science, right? When you're hiring a recruiter, um, it's much like hiring a, an attorney, right? And an attorney, a good attorney will tell you that attorneys don't win cases. 
clients win cases. Attorneys guide the client towards the win, right? They're giving you the advice to get there. But ultimately, it's incumbent upon you as the client to give that attorney what they need to win that case on your behalf, right? And, and it's the same thing in recruiting. It's an inexact science. We're dealing with people. And no matter how good I am or all the tricks of the trade that I know, there is no silver bullet. Um, there's no guarantee that we're going to get across the finish line. I can only guarantee that I'm going to work as long as it takes to get you there. Here's what's interesting. Um, when you look at the space as, as a whole, um, over 50% of projects in the recruitment space never get to completion. They never get there. And there's a variety of reasons. Maybe um, an internal candidate, candidate fell in somebody's lap. Maybe they got frustrated and they canceled. Uh, maybe the need no longer exists. I mean, there's a variety of those things that, that occur. And so it's it's something that that we're very keen and aware of, right? Because you never want to you never want an upset client. Here's what I found: when we look at our space, we have a higher than average success rate in the industry, much higher than average success. Rate. But what's very interesting is we do a lot of work with Fortune clients. What I found when I during our studies is that if we take on a Fortune search, we are almost guaranteed to succeed. Almost. There's there's a small percentage uh, of searches that we don't get to the finish line with, but it's actually a rarity uh, with fortune code with fortune clients. And I believe that that has to do with the fact that number one, we're we're aligned, uh, but number two, it, it goes back to that culture, right? It's a well coached business. The business runs very well, so it's an attractive business for an associate to come into, and they preach culture, right? I, I just had. Uh, the, the Fortune Dallas team in our office doing a training uh, with their Dallas clients, right? Mm -hmm. And I sat in on it and I listened to these guys and I loved it because really, you know, the, a lot of the things that they talk about, it's not, it doesn't just apply to dentistry. It applies to all businesses, right? And I applied a lot of those concepts into to my business here. Yes, um, sir. So that's where I tell you, like, if you want to know the, the truth of it, yes, culture is vitally important and the, the numbers flesh that out. The numbers tell me that if you're a fortune client who remember one of their core tenants is building a strong culture, right? Mm -hmm. You are going to have an almost guaranteed success rate when we work on those searches with you. Yeah. It's uh, interesting that you say that. Um, so, you know, again, shout out to Bernie, like when Bernie comes to Atlanta, uh, last time I was here, I took uh, my staff right to the day one, like before they get into the clinical stuff. Um, and he's just, he's talking about culture. He's talking about, you know, you're really your business principles. And I looked over at my, my COO and I told her, I said, look, if this was church, I would be screaming amen and hallelujah and running up and down the aisles. That's how much I believe and agree with what he's saying. Agreed. And, you know, this is, and that's why we're, you know, we get along so well. Um, and probably how, how come we're going to be good long friends for a long time, except for when Tampa plays Dallas. Um, well, you beat us once. <laughs> we, got, we got. I think we got lucky this year. To be honest with you, but anyway, I digress. Um, so, what about candidates? So, you know, John Ray, the candidate. Right, he's fresh out of school. He's a hygienist. He loves it. He loves fixing people's bad breath because you know he was. You know, not only was he the, you know, president, but now, or not only was he the president, now, now he's he was also a client. And he's fixed that he doesn't have yuck mouth anymore and he wants to help everybody else get into the um fresh breast zone so 
he's out there. How does John Ray, the hygienist, make himself a attractive candidate to find the best fit for him or her, however he identifies? Well, I, I would tell John what I tell all of my clients, and that is your job is to go out and get an offer. Your job is not to accept every offer, but your job is to go out and get an offer. So always put your best foot forward, right? Um, here's the thing. Um, for in today's candidate market, if I'm a hygienist, I'm an associate dentist, uh, a specialist, any of those things, um, I'm going to have a lot of options. There's going to be a lot of opportunity that's out there. Um, really, what's incumbent upon you is to uh, make sure you're not wasting your time. You've got to kind of um, you've got to sift through the opportunities to find the best ones. Uh, again, selfish plug. My recruiters are pretty good at that. They'll do it for you. Right. You can kind of tell my guys what it is you're looking for and we'll figure it out. Um, but again, if you don't go that path, I mean, there's Indeed's, the the Indeed's of the world, job boards, ADAs, all that sort of thing. If, Hold if, on. Pause one second. If I'm I would see. So I'm a hygienist. Right. And I'm looking and I'm like, what what would be the downside to the applicant for using Arthur Marshall? There's not. It doesn't cost the candidate anything, right? The the the, the client is what who is, who is paying us. In fact, the advantage is is you get a trusted resource on the other side that can guide you through the process. Right, because I'd rather go to the gym or go fishing That's than right. you know scramble Indeed and take phone calls from you know a bunch of yo-yos trying to make sure I'm for real, right? Oh yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent, hundred percent true. Um, you know, I, I again, like I tell everybody, you know, you gotta you gotta sift through, and make sure that um, just like there are, you're gonna have a, plenty of opportunities, plenty of different options that are out there. There are bad practices out there. You know, let's 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 talk about the other. There are bad practices. I will tell you, um, and and this is counter to a lot of, of, of I think what a lot of businesses would do. We're a retained firm. Right. And so when we bring on a client, they begin paying us directly up front before we ever send them a candidate. They're paying us to conduct a search on their behalf. Well, let me let me tell you, I, we turn down clients all the time. You know, part of our our research is I, I would rather talk to you and say, tell me about what it is that you're looking for. Let's understand your practice. Let's get it. And then go, you know what? This isn't recruitable. You need to change X, Y, or Z in order for you to be a good practice on this market, in order for this search to be a recruitable search. And if the client says, we can't do that, we can't or we won't, one of those two things, I'd much rather shake hands and part as friends rather than take your money knowing that I can never get you across the finish line unless I just get really lucky. Um, and so what I would tell a candidate that's working with my firm or, or other firms like mine is, is that we are we're sifting through the bad stuff for you. Not only are we going out and representing the uh, representing good opportunities, we're representing some of the best opportunities because we sift through those on the front end and we determine, hey, this is not a search that's recruitable, and I won't take it on unless it is. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. And so, part of the reputation too is not just finding the candidate but the stickiness what's your word do you have a word for that yeah, the retention yeah <laughs> like the tenure, tenure um of and so as you're doing this that's what gets you repeat 
that same client's going to call you again because they don't have to worry about it is because not only did you find me a great hygienist or an oral surgeon or an associate, but they're still here. Now we're growing. Is that a a big source of the revenue for Arthur Marshall? hundred percent repeat businesses, as we call it in our, in our world. Hey, what, what's our repeat rate? Um, in, in matter of fact, my, my consultants, um, and I don't really call my recruiters recruiters. I, I, I use the term somewhat, but in, in the office, I'll tell them all the time, you're not a recruiter, you're a consultant. Um, recruiters simply get told, this is what you're going to go find, and they go find it. Consultants go and work with a practice. They listen. They seek to understand before seeking to be understood. And then they consult with that client to make sure that, that they're representing them to the best of their abilities, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are that my consultants are judged on their repeat ratio. Not only are we feeling filling searches, but are, are our clients happy, right? The experience is just as important as the result. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. Uh, and, and what's interesting is I've had clients that have given us repeat business that we didn't have success for at first. We did not have success on their first search for a variety of reasons. And they came back and I and I always would ask myself, why is that? Right? Why would you come back? And it's because the experience was good. They felt like we gave it everything that we could. And they determined by the end of that search that, hey, we may not have got to the finish line on this one, but that's pro- that's not because of our partial. That's because of, of the market or that's because of things that we need to change within our practice. And so they gave us another opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, that's the we, we, we gauge our consultants on what their repeat ratio looks like, whether clients are coming back, whether they're having a good experience. We use NPS scores. You know, we we have a um, a guy, a great friend of mine, his Brandon Schmidt. He's our uh, vice president of client services. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I've, I've worked with Brandon for close to 10 years now. He was a recruiter. That was his background. We moved him into a role on our executive team. And all Brandon does is spend every waking moment talking to our clients, engaging how they feel, how things are going, and trying to find ways to better serve them. So he calls every single one of our clients, on top of the, the consultant that's assigned, on top of the marketer who brought in the search, right? You have Brandon, who's my vice president of client success, and his entire job is simply to get out there, talk to these folks, understand their frustrations, understand their pains, try to get out in front of any issues that might that might uh, arise and ultimately help get us to the finish. That's really interesting. So you're getting enough good feedback and enough business intelligence about your clients that you have carved out a an executive role yes. for a vice president to do nothing but gather this intelligence and, you know, shake metaphorically shake hands, kiss babies, but um, it's to make sure that you're meeting the the needs. And so they're the business value proposition, you know, internally in ROI is there. Absolutely. That's, that's really interesting actually. Um, And it says a lot about you guys says that you care. Right. And it says that you're striving to be better because if you're not improving, you're dying. Right. That's right. Um, so man, this has been fascinating, actually. Is there any other facts, tidbits, suggestions, feedback, good jokes that you got from the from the market? Yeah, here's what I, I would love to share. And 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 this is kind of 
a platform I'm standing on right now. So uh, again, I told you my back. Like a soapbox or just just a, no, not soapbox. It's, it's okay, a, it's just a, a raised platform. platform. It's raised for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, all right. So everybody in listener land, you picture me and Kevin. We're up there. We're on stage. We're on raised platform. Yeah. So so here here's the deal. I told you that my background was uh, um, was in physician recruitment. Okay. Physician recruitment rose to its prominence in the late 90s, early 2000s, all right? The reason it did is because of what we all know now as hospitals and health systems. In the late 90s, early 2000s, 80% of all physicians were in private practice. Only 20% were employed. Fast forward to today, 80% of all doctors in the healthcare space are now employed. 20% are in private practice. Those numbers have completely flipped off. The reason is, is the rise of the hospital and the health system. Well, I will tell you, that's what gave rise to the physician recruitment industry, because hospitals and health systems started buying up all of the private practices, right, and forced the private practices to make a decision, right, either expand to stay private, right, or be swallowed up by the health system or ultimately kicked out of business. That's so true. because of that, hospitals had to recruit replacements for all of the practices they were buying. They had to recruit folks in, which like crazy, the private practices that needed to expand, they had to expand quickly and they had to hire recruitment firms and you blew the, 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 the recruitment industry exploded, right? All right. Well, guys, I got news for you. History always repeats itself. Does it not? I'm a history buff, Patrick. We all talk about it. Mm-hmm. DSO is a hospital and a health system. Make no mm-hmm. mistake about it. That's what a DSO is. Totally it's, agree. It's, it's just a different term for it in the dental space. Well, I got news. I was just looking at some of the numbers. Guess what? Right now, about 78% of all dental practices are private currently. And that number mm-hmm. is shrinking. Right now, you're seeing the same thing happen in the dental space as we saw in the healthcare space in the late 90s, early 2000s. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. And to all of our listeners, thank you very much. Until next time, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. 